0: Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. Your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 347 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We're gonna be discussing together the top five pro tennis secrets. These are keys to success at the professional level that we can emulate and we should emulate as amateur athletes. And my guest today is Matt Bradshaw, the host of Coffee Break Tennis. Matt, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. Very exciting.
0: Yeah, it is exciting. I love doing interviews on on this show. I I don't know, every other month or so, I would say, I have somebody on and it's always somebody that I I just have a sense that really would enjoy having a conversation with around the idea of game improvement. And for Matt, for those of you who are not familiar with Matt's show, he hosts a YouTube show and also a, a podcast called Coffee Break Tennis, where he breaks down the top players in the world, their performance and tournaments, both on the men's side and on the women's side, but more so on the, on the
1: men's side, right, Matt? Yeah, mainly, I mean, I like the women's game, and I, I really enjoyed watching it when I was kind of trying to teach myself how to play tennis, because it's a little slower, so it's like a little easier to see what they're doing, kind of decode it, you know? But uh, it's so much time to cover the men's game. Like, think of all the matches in the first couple of days of a Grand Slam. There's no way I can do a good job covering both, so that's why I focus on the men's game. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, so I've, I've been following Matt's content for, for your, I think, since you started. How long has it been that you've been publishing on YouTube?
1: Uh, since Couple Federer years, lost to Tommy Haas in 2017, right before Wimbledon, that was okay. the first episode. Great. Cause I was, I was so stunned that, uh, people couldn't believe, you know, that Federer could lose a, a freak match like that after having match points. And then they're all saying, Oh, he's, he's going to lose at Wimbledon for sure now. And I said, no, that's nonsense. I I'm going to make a video. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it.
0: Well, yeah. Since then, Matt's been doing an incredible job with his content. I love watching it. I've learned a lot from watching it. And I don't have time. Like what you just said, Matt, I, I don't have time to watch tennis. So when I watch your videos, I feel like I get the cliff notes of what's happening. But you go really deep into the analytics of, of stats and how and why players are losing and, and winning. And I, I, lo- I love your kind of head-to-head analysis. That's why I wanted to have you on the show. So before we get to your top five pro tennis secrets, things that we can use as amateur players, I'd love for you to give us a little bit of background. How did you get started as a player, as a coach? And I guess you kind of just gave us a little bit of the origin story of, of Coffee Break Tennis, but tell us a little bit about what you're doing there also.
1: Well, um, I started playing that summer after I graduated high school. So I just turned 18 and uh, I was actually like just trying to lose weight. And my friends convinced me to play tennis and said, you know, this is a lot of fun and you'll run a lot. And I, I didn't want to do it, which is amazing. <laughs> and that's all it took. And uh, that was around the time of Wimbledon in 2004. So we were playing tennis, you know, it was, it was ugly tennis. People can't really play. And, uh, and then they told me, you know, uh, tennis players can serve like 120 miles an hour. And I said that that's impossible. Even baseball pitchers can't do that. You know, and so I got home and I was like, I wonder if there's tennis on TV. And I kind of got lucky that we were in the middle of Wimbledon. I had no idea. So I just flipped through channels until I saw Wimbledon and I saw Venus Williams hitting over 100 mile an hour serves. And then and after that, it's like all I thought about was playing and watching tennis. It's all I wanted to do. Uh, I started teaching thanks to uh, Peter Freeman over at Crunch Time Coaching. I probably wasn't good enough of a player to teach lessons yet. But he could see that I was really into it and like uh, obsessed, you know, so he let me work with beginners and he kind of started helping me in developing my strokes behind the scenes. So I owe him uh, a lot of credit for uh, fixing up my game on that. And then he saw that I had done a music video with my band years before and thought it was really good and that I was good on camera and he had me do some videos with them. And uh, and then I thought, you know, I started thinking about what is something I would love to watch on YouTube about tennis, and I just had this idea. That was all I did. I was like, what is something I would get excited to see? Hmm. And I thought, you know, it's kind of hard to find commentary on tennis after big matches. It is. So it still is. That's how I came up with the idea. It it still is. I think that's uh, something I have going for me. Pretty good. (laughs) It's helping me out.
0: Yeah, and frankly, if I can just kind of. have a little personal rant. I've, I've personally felt like over the years as I've watched tennis on TV, I've been very consistently, almost always really disappointed with the depth of analysis and commentary that I see on TV. I, I just feel like it's incredibly shallow and and you take it to a much, much deeper and more insightful level. So, I, I really appreciate that a lot.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, the I really, there's a lot of bright spots and, um, you know, some guys are kind of back and forth, but some of the commentators, I think, uh, they do a pretty good job. Very interesting. That's why I always, I go out of my way to make sure I hear what they have to say during matches because they'll bring up some pretty interesting stuff. Cool. But so, sometimes, yeah, it's very much what you're saying sometimes.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for doing what you're doing. Like I said, I've learned a lot from the content you've been publishing, and so with that, let's go ahead and shift gears into... I, oh, I, real quick, I just yeah, want to say
1: thank you, because uh, you know, I, maybe a lot of people don't realize, but I'm still very much into developing my game, and uh, I spent a lot of time watching your stuff. I, I especially loved watching all the slow motion Federer videos you were putting up <laughs> years ago. Yeah, So I was watching that stuff from the beginning.
0: Those were the good old days. I I really I really miss doing that. And who knows? Maybe someday in the future it'll work out to where we can do it again. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that tremendously, and and uh, I, and I miss it. But uh, it was it was fun while it lasted. So I, I've asked Matt to put together his top five list. Like as he, over the years he's gone through and just picked apart the the stats and the games and the patterns and the playing styles of all the top players in the world. I asked him to think about what the top five things are that he believes we can learn from and, and emulate and take away from the program game and apply to our own games. So Matt, why don't you go ahead
1: and take it away? What's the, the first element here? Well, the number one thing I would say that I notice that happens so much in the pro game and I, it has to happen more. I don't have the stats from, you know, recreational league matches like what I play in. But I'm sure it happens even more, and that's the fact that points mostly end in errors. And uh, the short rallies are what dominate. I'm sure you're familiar with Craig Essie, He was uh, working with Djokovic's team for a while. Yeah, he's been on the show, actually. Oh, awesome. Well, then, yeah, you know all about him. So I'm sure you've heard him talk about – I have this breakdown from a Federer-Djokovic match at Cincinnati. I think this is from 2018. And it's, there's you know 120 something points in the match in total, and uh, 50 of them were just one shot, a missed wow. return, an ace. Uh, 16 of them were a serve and a return. and then you know three shots, 11, four shots, eleven, five shots, eleven. and it, goes, it gets smaller and smaller. you know there was how many rallies were seven or eight shots uh, only four on each of those. And so I noticed that all the time and that's kind of convinced me that for, even for the pros and for us it's more important to try to hit shots that force errors rather than winners or at least you know a, a shot that you can come into the net on and and have an easy finish so that that would be my number one takeaway and uh I'm curious you know I know you you say you don't have enough time to watch a lot of pro tennis matches because you spend so much time working with people who are more like my level uh, I'm curious to hear what you think about that and maybe if you know some uh If you have some data on the recreational game.
0: I don't personally have data, but I sat down with Craig and his partner, Warren. Uh, I'm blanking on Warren's last name right now. Uh, Have you met Warren, uh, Craig's recent partner?
1: Uh, I don't know about Warren, but uh, Uh, I feel bad. I'm blanking on his last
0: name right now. But uh, Warren runs, I I believe, Tennis Analytics is the, the name of his business. And he and Craig are kind of teaming up. And a couple months ago, I went to a conference where the two of them were presenting data for the first time, where they went to a 3-5 level competition and charted matches. And it was unbelievably similar to the breakdown of the different point, the, the rally lengths with professional tennis. It was different, but the the overwhelming majority of points just like in pro tennis were a couple of shots per point and frankly i expected it to be a bigger shift there, there was a shift more towards like three or four shots per per point but mm-hmm. the the large majority were still one or two or at the high end like three three shots per rally which seems incredible at three five like it i th- i think there's there's some kind of quirk in the human brain where when we watch those incredible eleven, twelve, thirteen shot rallies that finish with a winner, mm-hmm. I feel like our brains just kind of go on loop mode, and like those are the only points we tend to see or think about or remember, whether it's our match or Federer versus Djokovic or or whoever. And it's just like the ESPN effect of uh, you know top ten <laughs> effect of like yeah. that's the shot that we kind of or the point that we walk away like thinking about, and we forget the huge majority of the important
1: points, which is the short ones. Absolutely. So I I would say that's my number one take. And I think the reason why it trends more towards three and four at three, five would have a lot to do with my next two or the rest of my five actually, but definitely the next two things, which are, uh, I think the most important thing to take with that data, like, well, how are you, that's easy to say, like hit shots that force errors. That's more important than hitting winners. Like, well, like how do you do that? And that takes me, can we move to number two? Yeah, absolutely. That takes me to number two. And that is, uh, it's so important to spend a lot of time developing your serve. I can see it in my own game, how much it has helped me and how much it has hurt me over the years. Uh, Like I said, I I tried to teach myself from watching. So that really hurt me because I had tons of bad habits and it took so, it it made it a lot harder. I wish I would have been signing up for courses online like what you do when I first started I wish I would have like gone and worked with somebody by the time I took lessons I'd probably been teaching myself for three years and the coach was basically like just shocked at all my weird habits and how hard it was to change <laughs> anything I know you see that all the time because I, I know those some of those videos you do are pretty awesome on YouTube where you have someone come in and break down a, a shot and rebuild it from the ground up and I love yeah. that kind of stuff by the way uh, so number two is is all about developing your serve you see it all the time in the tour. There's a pretty much everyone has a good serve. Uh, the difference between the guys who move to top hundred, top fifty, top ten is uh, you know this, uh, you know a lot of them have an exceptional serve, like uh, a John Isner, Raonic, Federer, even Djokovic and Nadal do a lot to fix their serve. But uh, a lot of those guys they do it because they have such a great return game and they have a pretty good serve. Mm. But they all have a, you know, they all have a pretty good serve. And I, I think it's just so important for us to like if you can't hit a slice serve or a kick serve at all, then that should be your main focus right now. And they should download a course or they should go to a clinic, like some of the clinics you do, or at least, you know, go get some kind of lessons from somebody who can really help them. I know some coaches don't want to spend a lot of time trying to help someone get a skill they think they'll never be able to figure out. But once you can start hitting slice or kick to reliably get a first and second serve in, I think that's a big game changer for our level. And, and then um, when you can find spots, when you can start hitting spots, that's that's when things really start to change. That's when you'll get some forced errors. Uh, that's when you'll get short balls that you can actually hit a winner or at least you know hit a shot that is going to force your opponent to miss. You're never going to get to find out how nervous your opponent is when they're going to have a, a bad you know, lapse of play if, if you're making the errors first. So I, I think it's so important to, to work on the serve. And then my number three thing is all about making your opponent playing the extra shot, and one of the number of ways to do that since we know these rallies are going to be short is uh, making a consistent return. So mm-hmm. if you can focus on developing a serve and a return – and no matter what scenario you find yourself in a court, like I was saying before, like you're never you never know when your opponent is going to start getting nervous and start giving you free points, but you do know it's going to happen. You know, I'm sure anyone who's listening right now can think of how that, that tends to happen in every match, no matter how well you're playing, unless you're really just giving it away. <laughs> you you're gonna see a stretch where your opponent plays pretty poorly and will give you some free points. And if you can consistently get decent serves and returns in play, uh, you're going to see that a lot more and a lot sooner.
0: I uh, Yeah, I really like how you group together the serve and the return. It's it, it gets repeated almost to the point where it feels like a cliche, but the old, the serve is the most important shot in tennis You know, phrase. I, I'm assuming you're a, a big believer in that.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think you could even make it as simple from the Craig uh kind of world, just say shots one and two are the most mm. important because yeah. shot 3 is usually out, you know. Sure, sure.
0: So I'm curious going back to your development and going into those maybe th- those first couple early lessons, can you think back and remember what was the big focus point for you as that coach kind of broke down and looked at your your self-taught habits? What was the kind of the, the turning point for you that really improved your serve and and made it a more reliable tool?
1: I guess you know it took years until I was able to really do anything good with my serve. It was just so hard for me to learn, and there were so many other things that were terrible that I was focused on. And for some reason, I didn't realize how important the serve was. I thought, you know, well, I can break like five, six times a match, and because uh, <laughs> I was, I was pretty quick. You know, I was playing three o, three five, and a lot of the guys I'm playing, you know, I'm playing guys who are fifty, sixty. I had a uh, quite a rivalry with this guy who was literally in his 70s and I was like, you know, 19 or something and he was a uh, he was beating me. <laughs> I'll never forget what a big deal it was to me when I finally beat that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but um the first thing that really helped me at three hands in pretty regularly and not make many errors and that I could use my legs and getting a lot of backhands in, that helped me get to 3-5 and start winning a lot. And then uh, the serve though that's definitely what helps you get to you know 40 5 stuff like that that you got to have a serve. And I, I would say the first thing was fixing the hitch. I think everyone has this problem like uh, did you see Sophia Kennan at all in the the final? Did you at all? Have you ever seen her play?
0: I saw some of the highlights. Is she is she the one with the the
1: toss and then she looks up afterwards? So many people when they toss as soon as their head looks up to the ball I mean, you know this better than anyone. They, you know, they go into the waiter tray position, whatever you want to call it, the pizza move. That racket just comes right back into a place where you can't generate any racket at speed, and you have no chance to hit a good serve unless you're, you know, pushing it in. Then, then you can consistently get it in, but it's it's not going to be a good serve at any decent level of play. So, I, I guarantee you, uh, they told her, "All right, toss, but keep your head down so you don't throw your racket in the pizza." move hmm. and you see that a lot like that del bonus you ever seen del bonus he's got no, the ridiculously I haven't seen, high toss I haven't seen him. and uh well yeah. do you remember uh sarah ronnie she would just kind of hold her racket up in the trophy move you know at least with the the racket, with her racket just like ready to drop and accelerate so you sure, see that yeah. a lot in the women's game and sometimes in the men's game too del bonus kind of does that So obviously, even for pros, sometimes this is just a thing people can't fix for some reason. It's just so it's such Mm -hmm. muscle memory. So I would say that was the number one thing for me for sure and probably will be for anyone working on their serve is just not doing that since it kills all of your racket head speed gives you no chance. Once you can start feeling what it's like to really accelerate, then you can start using your legs and your hips more and get even more racket head acceleration then uh then you know what it's like you know to hit a serve ninety ninety a hundred miles an hour once you start to feel that, then you can start working on spin and location and then then you can have a real weapon and uh, you know that's a really exciting thing to me to see people start to get that because it changes the whole game
0: absolutely I'd love to touch on that location part of it you you mentioned it a little bit earlier as well being able to to pick your spots. What patterns do you see the the pros as you I think I heard you say a couple times during the Aussie that you had like three or four screens like going at a time as as you're watching all these different matches. Hopefully, hopefully
1: you detox every once in a while, Matt, away yeah. from that, uh, that screen time. But uh, I got Grigor Dimitrov choking away a match live in the background right now. All right. <laughs> yeah, I can't so get away. Get of that. Yeah, I feel bad for him. It's funny. Um, Grigor Dimitrov, he made that semifinal in 2017 at the australian open everyone thought like oh man this is his time he's coming and then uh i think the next thing that happened to him is some shoulder trouble although he Mm -hmm. had some good results in 2017 and then his serve has just been a nightmare the serve is so important even at this level that's why dimitrov is struggling so much is uh i think um the second serve is a massive problem for him today he's got a bunch of double faults already uh, with Djokovic, when he was struggling, his biggest thing was he modified his motion because of the tennis elbow, and he was actually getting more pace on his serve. and And you heard Federer talk about it in a presser like a week ago. Djokovic couldn't hit spots anymore, and it completely mm. ruined his game. Djokovic became what? What did he drop to? Like five in the world or something? And he wasn't winning anything, and he was losing to all these you know players people have never heard of. So that just goes to show you the serve is so important. And then uh, to get back to what you were saying on location, you see a yeah, lot of what, times. I'd be curious.
0: I'm both serve and return. What what patterns do you see the pros using most often that you think we could copy?
1: Uh, well, the funny thing is, and I see it too, playing in uh, you know Alta matches and you know stuff like that. A lot of targeting of the backhand. You know, if, if you know that the player has a weaker forehand or backhand, so you, you do see serves going a lot of traffic going to the weaker side. That's definitely pretty common. Uh, I'd say Federer made this really popular. You see Federer constantly in the deuce court. On the first serve, hit kind of an off-speed slice serve out wide away from the forehand, short in the court to kind of get an open court for your first ground stroke so you can attack. So you see that a lot, and now you kind of see every right-handed player doing it more and more. It seems like to me they're kind of all copying Mm -hmm. Federer on that. Uh, you definitely see this, you know, second serve kick in the ad court going away from a righty. The the kick serve away from the backhand up and away in the ad court. You see everyone hitting that still. Uh, another thing you always see Federer do that you kind of start to see people copy a little bit, although it's kind of hard to pull off if you're nervous. Is uh, and I did this in Alta match on match point second serve the other day, and it pff, nothing. It didn't come back. Uh, if you can get a kick serve right up the tee. Pretty close to both the lines in the corner, especially if you've been going to the backhand all day. That works extremely well if you can pull that off. So on if the someone's ad side, yeah, ad core. I I've, the first, you know, when I when I was starting to get more pace on my serve, but not much still. The first spot I ever hit an ace was uh, that ad flat up <laughs> the tee. You know, you can nail. You, the T. you say
0: that. You say that like you you reflect on that moment frequently.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's also it's still where I'm most comfortable trying to find an ace is, uh, you know, flat as hard as you can to write up the tee from the ad court because it, it seems so simple. It's just you're, you know, you're driving a straight line out of your racket. if You can just you never forget your first ace. Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you uh that and uh, that slider from Deuce. That's another thing. You, you know, you'll see pros and the commentators will point it out sometimes like, wow, you just hit like an 80 mile an hour ace. Like, yeah, you find that slider short and out wide in the deuce court. Like, yeah, you can, you can ace anyone with that. So, uh, you see a lot of that, uh, those patterns. Um, as far as return, uh, a lot of cross court, you know, if, if someone's going after your backhand, just, uh, get a, a cross court return. That happens pretty common. Uh, a, a lot, a thing that's more popular now is to kind of return up the middle, especially, uh, I think, uh, three five four oh if you can get the return right back on the opponent a lot of times the footwork isn't good enough to get out of the way of the ball it's kind of like serving at the body you kind of return at the body so I like that as well especially if you're trying to run around your backhand you know we see the pros run around their backhand in the ad court and go forehand inside in winner and that's a shot that I've Try to hit a lot in matches, and I know like I'll miss a lot of them, but for some reason I just do it because it's a more fun way to play. But uh, you know, if it's crunch time and I, I really, you know, if I'm down or something, I'm not going to try that. So if you run around your backhand in the ad court, it, it's definitely not a bad play to kind of hit it up the middle right at the server. So you, you see that. I, I just saw uh, Dimitrov serve out wide in the deuce court, and uh, the guy hits forehand right up the middle towards Dimitrov. I think he won the point too. So there you go. <laughs> it happens all the time. Case in points.
0: Yeah, uh, one other specific pattern that you're kind of touching on briefly and I can't remember. I I I don't really think I saw any of uh Oh, I, I, that's not true. I saw a little bit of Aussie but but very little of it. So I probably heard this stat on on your show. I heard somewhere that Nadal after his serve hit a forehand on the next shot something like Eighty-five percent of the time, yeah. How how is that possible? Like, what kind of? uh, How should our listeners be thinking about setting up their favorite shot uh, right right after the serve?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. You know, um, that's a good way to go back to what I was saying: is uh, you know, hit shots that force errors, and uh, if you can find your favorite shot off of your serve. Off of you know, if you can hit a spot where you get a short enough return to run up and uh, take a short ball with your favorite shot, you're definitely going to win a lot more. Federer does that. I mean, every pro is doing that, but Nadal especially does it because one his serve is not as big of a weapon as a lot of other top players. I mean, he's a lefty. I think if Rafa wasn't a lefty, that might have hurt his uh, might have hurt his game. Sure, maybe history would be different. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. So Rafa does it. I think more because his serve is not as much of a weapon, but it becomes, you know, Rafa dominated in a, you know, winning on serve stats last year. And, uh, I think that's why is because he knows his serve is very much a weapon. If he gets a short forehand, he can attack because then he's going to win like 90% of the points. So that's why 85 or whatever percent of the points he's making sure that happens. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely important and you will definitely, uh, you will force more errors. You will get more easy shots, if you can find a way to do that. Uh, I like to go after my forehand, but it can fall apart on me, especially if I'm not getting to practice a lot and groove it. Then my backhand is the more reliable shot. And uh, yeah, I'm constantly uh, trying to get a serve in where I can get a backhand, any kind of short backhand. So yeah, if I can go wide, flat, wide, add to the backhand on the first serve in the ad court, I know a lot of times i um, I'll get something that kind of sits in the middle of the court and I can hit a backhand if I'm feeling nervous or if I'm feeling great, I can go smack a forehand. Uh, it's I love going up. I mean, one thing you see with great servers like Federer is they're going to try to hit that V pattern. They're just going first serves are like flat out wide for a while to establish that you're getting your opponent out of position and you're opening the court for a winner on the first ground stroke you hit. And then he mixes in those T serves and we'll get aces because you know they're already leaning leaning the other way. So I, I love doing that. If you can hit flat, if you got a hard enough surf, if you can go like hundred miles an hour and hit close to the lines out wide, flat on ad or deuce, you get a lot of balls you can attack with whatever your favorite ground stroke is. If you move well enough, you'll typically get something short enough where you can hit the shot you want. Awesome.
0: Alright, well I'm looking forward to moving on just to quickly bring everybody up to speed. Number one out of five was most points end with an error. So work on forcing mistakes instead of just going for winners. And then number two is improve your serve, make sure you have spin and and you're starting to be able to place the serve. And a number three was make them play an extra shot and making a consistent return of serve is is a huge part of that. So yeah. what's what's number what's number four on the list, Matt?
1: Number four is a thing that I think about all the time when I play matches because if I'm a little rusty, it's one of the first things I notice I'm not doing, but I'm good at being aware now. And that's – and this is a difference you see between like young, like next-gen or you know, some of these uh, Felix Auger types. Dominic Team was bad at this for a long time. Younger players who are developing, you'll see they don't have this a lot of times. And that's simply – you have to be so aware – and able to sense the opportunity to move forwards and you can't hesitate. You have to react right away, whether you're trying to hit a volley or you're just taking two steps inside the court, you know, think Roger Federer or Djokovic, get your feet inside the baseline and take the ball earlier on a short ball an attack. It doesn't mean you have to crack a winner, but you have to move in and you have to be aware of when, when the shorter ball or the float ball that you can run up to the net and put away is coming. And, uh, that happens to me in matches a lot where I end up playing a volley below the height of the net and I know it's my fault and I kind of, you know, curse myself and say like, you know, you, you need to get up sooner because that's a winner. And if you, if you don't take those easy opportunities to win points, you're really, uh, your chances of winning the match are going to go down for sure. Or, or same with just step in and take the ground stroke earlier, whatever the shot is. So that's one of the things that, uh, I see. With uh, it's a game changer for the pros. The guys who do this better succeed more, and I think it's a it's a big game changer for three uh, zero, three 30, five, four zero, all those levels.
0: So I feel like watching TV, it can kind of feel like some some kind of intuitive, like sixth sense, like ESP kind of thing, where the pros just kind of have that awareness of like, oh, this is that magical moment to move forwards. But I think a lot of amateur players feel like they're constantly behind like they they're not seeing it until like it's already like exactly how you're saying like you you hit that vowel, and it's like oh that i should have been able to hit that a lot higher what kind of things have you what kind of things do you think the pros are seeing and what elements have you really been focusing on to improve that that awareness and that sense of, of when the opportunity is coming
1: Well, one thing is you can feel right away when you really hit a great shot, when you connect well and you know it's going to be deep, you know it's going to be trouble for your opponent. So that's one thing right away where you already kind of have to have your antenna up. Uh, Another thing, you got to be great at timing your split step. I would say that's one thing I should have put on this list if I had more, uh, more (laughs) spots to put it in is it's amazing how many people don't time the split step right Mm. and they get off, you know, it's kind of to a late start. So if you're already taking care of your footwork with the split step, I think you'll see it you'll see it sooner. Or at least you'll let's say you see it but you don't react fast enough because that can be a problem too. I think sometimes people see it and they know it and this is when I get most mad at myself is like, "Man, you saw the guy turn his back to you running out wide way behind the baseline. He's going for like a backhand slice looking shot because he can't set up his feet to actually hit it. It's so obvious you're going to have something just floating over the net." that, you know, if it's a doubles match and you're already standing there while your partner's playing from the baseline, it's the easiest put away that we all, we really want, you know, the difference between like you have a put away, but you can still screw it up. And then you have a put away <laughs> that no one can screw up, you know, even the three O players put those ones away. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you will see that coming. And if you wait half a second behind the baseline, you're going to get up there with an awkward shot. You know, the ball's going to be below than that, and you're like, what do I do? Pop it up. Do I try to hit a drop shot from this position? Like that would work, but I could easily miss this shot. Am I hitting a volley at my shoestrings? You know, like you just put yourself in an awkward position when you pretty much already won the point. You just had to react. So the obvious things are start, get better at your timing, your split steps. So you are in a position to not just like see it, but like, oh, I see it. And now I'm already moving forwards because my feet are always working. You know, I have good, uh, good footwork. Number two is, you know, be pretty in touch with, like, if you hit a great shot, know that you might have an opportunity to move forward, so be kind of looking for it. And then the obvious thing is, like, where is your opponent? And, like, how far did you force them out of position with the shot? Are they turning their back and switching into, like, a continental grip to hit some kind of slice forehand, you know, volley-looking shot from behind the baseline, just kind of push it back with a backhand forehand volley-type deal? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So on the pro side of things, who who comes to mind for you first that you think does this exceptionally well? The the transition from kind of neutral, like rally, 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 and then making that decision to uh, close forwards and be be more aggressive with positioning. Who do you think really does that exceptionally well?
1: Well, definitely the big three come to mind right away. Rafa, Roger, Novak. They're the best at it, I think, because they've worked so hard to stay on top and to keep being the big three. That's how these guys have won everything, every important tournament for like 15 years now. So I'd say they do it better than anyone. Uh, Even Serena, we don't think of her as like a great net player maybe, but she's pretty good at it. Same with uh, Venus. I remember uh, seeing Federer and Venus at Miami one year, and that was one of the things I noticed right away years ago when I knew less about tennis was – how quick they were to move in and attack when they had an opportunity. Remember that was uh, my big takeaway that year. So the big three, uh, Sitsipas is for next gen type players. Yeah, somebody that I, I right away started taking pretty serious because he he had it. He does it. Uh, uh, uh Sasha has a YouTube channel. Yeah, he has a YouTube channel. You know, um, Alexander Zverev. He's uh, notoriously been really bad at the net. And then, you know, his brother is like a serve and volley specialist. It's kind of funny. And I think he had a good run here at the Aussie Open. And one thing we've seen from him recently that he's been working on is uh, being better at that. And he's even getting better with his volleys. And he's, uh, you know, he's starting to be better about – he senses the opportunity to move in and finish more. So uh, I see that with him. Even Medvedev, he's not great at net. His volleys are kind of weird. But he goes up there, and uh, Dominic Team, man, that's a big secret for why. That was one of my keys to him beating Nadal at the Australian Open this year. How many times did um, I don't know if you saw the match at all, but every time there was an opportunity like that, Dominic Team was at the net and he was taking no chances. He hit in forehand swing volleys, just freaking crushing him. And in the past, that would have been a game changer with Rafa. Dominic Team would have just stayed back behind the baseline like he's on a clay court. And the rally would have went back to neutral every time that would have happened. It seems like mm-hmm. he would have let that ball bounce and Rafa would have reset his feet and it would have been, you know, starting back from the beginning and Rafa probably would have won. And you saw Dominic team just flying to the net, put it away right away. Rafa had no chance so that that was really important. That was a key for him winning that match, I think.
0: Awesome. A theme I'm hearing from you, and I, I think you must have mentioned this a solid seven, eight, nine times by now in our conversation. Oh, yeah. Is you've is you've made mention of at least a half a dozen players mm-hmm. having improved like a specific part of their game, like whether it be net play or closing forwards or serve power or accuracy or it's it sounds like all these top elite players are constantly trying to. Develop new tools and sharpen the ones they are, already have. I feel like that in and of itself is is probably a, a big takeaway, a big lesson for for the listeners at home.
1: Yeah, I mean, and online tennis instruction. You know, thank God for that. I wish I'd had it when I was eighteen and would have started. I'd be a lot better today and would save myself mm-hmm. a lot of heartache and smashed less less rackets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so I think the big three are. I'm sure this has always happened in tennis, but it seems like a trend. It's funny how tennis commentators, sometimes they will say the same thing over and over. Like, um, shot tolerance was the the buzzword like a year or two ago. Mm. You know, uh, Paul Anacone will say stuff like, um, hitting aggressive shots to conservative targets. Stuff like <laughs> that. You know, there's like all these buzzwords. And one thing for years you would hear is, uh, you know, Rafa has, um, great volleys now. They would talk about how he spent so much time, he's very underrated in his volley game, and they would talk about how he spent so much time tweaking his serve and tweaking, you know, his uh sensing when to come in and having a good volley being able to finish at the net, all of that. So I think we've seen Federer do so much to try to counter the challenge that Nadal threw at him. Then when Djokovic came along, we saw both Roger and Rafa do things to work on their game. We saw Djokovic's serve collapse. We saw Djokovic's forehand, like uh, this would probably be mostly like 2009. He, he wins the Australian Open in 08, and then he's kind of not as, uh, you know, he's, he's just not winning as much. He's still like top three, but he had to work so much on fixing his serve and his forehand. So I think all the players who are younger and they're like, I want to have a piece of what those guys have. You know, I want to have $100 million and win everything. <laughs> so I think they saw the way they practice and the stuff that they work on trying to develop their game even more, even though they're on top. And now we see it. It's pretty common. It seems like everyone's – plus the fitness and diet, exercise, stuff like that. We see all these guys copying and it seems to all come from the top, from mm. big three. You know, how many people went gluten-free? I did it. When Djokovic became gluten free, I did it for like eight months. I was just to make my game better. <laughs> it's amazing how much people copy these guys. Do anything for better tennis. Seriously, I do. I'm thinking about going plant based or something. Uh, I probably won't do that. But yeah, I'm going into diet mode. I got a I dropped down. I was playing five oh tennis, and even though my strokes are better now, I'm playing four five and it kind of irritates me. And I know it's all fitness related. I gained weight mm-hmm. and I got slower. And, uh, yeah, so I'm working hard on that right now. I'm working hard on uh, second serve, working hard on the forehand always because that's been my biggest weakness forever.
0: Hmm. Awesome. Good for you. And I, I know everybody listening can can definitely relate. It's one of those things, like tennis is just one of those games where it's like whack-a-mole. Like when you kind of pound the the, the one problem area that pops up it seems like something else comes in to to take its place and there's just so many different variables and it's so difficult to have them all feeling uh solid and sharp at the same time
1: yeah i i lost an alta match a couple of days ago a mixed doubles match and it was seven five six four like we had chances but i think they broke my serve two maybe three times and it, it, and it was it was so frustrating because i was hitting good enough serves to win, even though I wasn't hitting spots the way I wanted to, I was hitting enough pace and spin to where I could get some short balls and I was just making like, you know, 15 unforced errors on the forehand. A lot of times with like a short ball, you could hit a winner off of, it just makes me crazy. And I remember, uh, I said earlier I saved a match point and I, and I knew it was like, it's cause I'm sitting watching tennis and doing coffee break tennis for two weeks straight and not hitting any tennis balls. So I was really irritated that I couldn't find my forehand because of that. <laughs> But I knew to go out and hit serves because I could practice that on my own before the match so I was able to hit enough good serves and then as soon as I started hitting spots I didn't even have to hit a second ball you know the returns weren't coming back when I started hitting quality serves in the right spots so yeah it, this stuff will make you crazy you know you, you do one good thing like you said and then all of a sudden you can't hit a forehand oh. <laughs> <So>
0: <laughs> I, I guess
1: that's why you yeah I guess that's why uh, you don't give up and there's people who are online looking at YouTube tennis lessons and trying desperately to, to get better. Absolutely.
0: So let's move on to number five. I'm really curious on this one because I know you t- you told me before we started recording that it kind of ties everything together. So, so what's, yeah, just, the, magical, what's recap the magical number five? Real yeah, go ahead.
1: quick. I know I'm kind of long-winded today. I'm sorry about that. I'm used to doing a show by myself and just talking all the time. The number one is the uh, points are going to end I'm, in I'm errors. pretty good at making it easy to talk. It's my fault. Uh, just, well, thank you. <laughs> Number one, points are going to mostly end in errors. And so as a result of that, you got to develop a great serve and a great return. And even if you're know if you at the fence, you got to throw that lob up when they're at the net and see, are they going to miss the shot? So that's how you take advantage of most points ending in errors. Make more serves, make more returns, make more shots when you're in a terrible position, defensive position on court. Number four, make your life way easier since the opportunity when you have a freebie. The ball is going to be short. You have to be up there at the net. Or at least a few steps inside the baseline to take that ball earlier and take your reward. And number five is really simple. None of this stuff will work without it. Maybe, you know, drop shots and volleys, but you got to have racket head speed. That uh, is why my forehand is still an issue, because I will deaccelerate, especially if I'm nervous. That's why if I'm nervous, I'll hit a backhand, because I know I'm going to finish the swing. I'm going to accelerate through the ball. It's not going to deaccelerate halfway through the swing. And I know if I'm nervous, there's a really good chance I'm going to not quite push my forehand. Maybe I will sometimes. At least at 3-0, you can get a push shot in and survive. But I know that there's a really good chance I'm going to float a forehand long because I'm going to try to hit it the right way. And then right before contact, I'm going to start tightening up and slowing down. So you got to work on developing racket head speed on serves, second serves especially. That's the biggest myth in tennis is that they hit the second serve slower. They hit it slower but they swing almost just as hard. It's because they're hitting so much slice or kick on the serve that all that spin in the ball slows the ball down. That's why the serve clock or the speed speedometer, or whatever. That's why the the speed comes down on a second serve in the pro game. So if you have racket head speed, you can do all these things. You can hit margin on your forehand and backhand. And, uh, that's, that's my number five thing. That's, I would say the most important thing to start working on, if you don't know what it's like to have racket head speed in your shots, if you're pushing the ball, you got to start to work to change it. If you wanna, you know, if you want to hit the next level in your game, and I, I'm curious to, you've worked with so many players that are my level and below my level. I'm curious to hear what you think about that and what your number one thing would be.
0: Yeah, well, I I, to- I completely agree on the racket head speed front. There's and yeah, excluding maybe like touch shots, like you said. But forehand yeah. ground stroke, you know, drive ground strokes and and serves. Nothing good can happen when unless it's on accident, when you're tentative and careful and trying not to lose uh in terms of your technique, it's just very difficult to be successful. And I, I think you're absolutely correct. It's it's relatively level dependent. If you're if you're a beginner, Maybe moving on up to lower intermediate, you can get away with just hitting the ball in the court and, and nothing else. Um that's why people hate pushers so much. Mm-hmm. But once you get into, you know, the strong 3-5, 4-0, definitely 4-5, you just can't the opponents just have enough weapons that they're going to figure out a way to exploit any kind of kind of sitting shot that's hitting their side of the court over and over again. Yeah, and on the on the pro side of things, I feel like I feel like the last like five years or so, it's been an incredible run of players that are figuring out how to hit aggressively from just about every conceivable position. And I feel like the latest iteration of that, at least from my perspective, not watching a lot of pro tennis, but just kind of occasionally watching, I feel like team watching team hit the yeah. ball is just like.
1: That's the first name that came to mind.
0: She Jeez, it's just like that. oof, just like over and over, No, just freaking smashing the ball, but but doing it with with precision. Um, watching him hit from the from the baseline is is really impressive to me. And if that's the kind of direction that the game continues to head in, and then you've got your players who are kind of like the expert counterpunchers, like the Medvedev. Like mm-hmm. I, to me, that's like super exciting to watch. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the acceleration is
1: is huge. I'm curious what you think, you know, because Dominic Team and Medvedev, their s- strokes are so different, but they both are preferring to be at the baseline. Mm-hmm. And Dominic Team, you know, he has massive racket head speed and uh, a good bit of spin, but he's just so strong. He works out so much that even though he's hitting a lot of spin, you know, I said earlier, the spin brings the speed off the ball. Well, he's hitting it so incredibly hard. Rafa, I guess, started this with his forehand. That uh, he's able to hit a lot of topspin and still like get through the court extremely fast. Yeah. Whereas Medvedev, a lot of people like McEnroe will say he's a pusher, which I, you know I watch Medvedev <laughs> and I don't think he's a a pusher. I think he's more of a flat ball hitter. Uh, he kind of pushes it a little. I like, I don't know, I want to hear what you think as an expert coach.
0: Well, for, I think pusher is a completely relative term. In other yeah. words, you've got your beginner pusher who literally just hits the middle of the court with a ball that travels over the net by ten feet and thirty miles an hour, like over and over and over again. Yeah. And then you've got you know relative to top fifty in the world, you know, elite athlete quote unquote like pusher. Like I can I can see somebody's argument for that. But you take, you know, Medvedev's put, you know, quote big air quotes like pushing shot mm-hmm. and you put it against a five oh, you know, Alta player's quote unquote pushing shot, and you've got, you know, two golden sets. So yeah. I think it's important to keep in mind the relative like the pace And the level of athleticism and the talent, you know, of anybody we see on TV, WTA or ATP is just so beyond anything that any of us amateur players can really comprehend unless we've really spent a a lot of time going deep into the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think probably most importantly, seeing it up close and in person it's very hard to comprehend really what we're watching unless uh, we've seen it in person. And in particular, I believe we've watched ourselves on a video screen. Yeah, because the contrast between seeing yourself hit a quote big forehand and <laughs> seeing team hit a quote big forehand it's like you might as well be talking about you know mars and and uh planet earth like it's two yeah. completely different uh reference points
1: and, and um, it's just those yeah. guys the fitness level is really the biggest thing
0: yeah it's incredible
1: they they can generate so much more racket at speed than we can that's, that's so yeah.
0: Big difference. I, I'll, I'll answer the question directly. Like, re- relative to a team or like uh, Nadal, or maybe Nadal's not the best example because he's such an incredible counterpuncher, also. Uh, like yeah. a Federer or a, or a team, like relative to them, like some of the greatest players of all time. Sh- yeah, I could see somebody making that, that uh, putting that label on Medvedev. But um, relative to tennis, you know, like as a whole, I would say it's it's kind of a little bit ludicrous. It's just his game style. It's and kind he, of a shovel. Still I would call it like, like a, a yeah. shovel. He kind of shovels it a little bit.
1: Radwanska, McEnroe, a little bit like that. Yeah. But to me, it's uh, and that would be my other thing. If if you don't have racket head speed, you better master the contact point. You know, if you can uh, mm-hmm. take a ball out front and out, you know, with enough space between you and your hip, and you can uh, you can get it in that sweet spot of spacing. You can you can know, catch it out front nice and early. Then you can kind of have a slower swing. Do you recall Federer used to say when he gets nervous, he actually slows down his swing. He reduces his racketed speed. It's still fluid, but he swings a little slower. Do I don't remember him a-
0: ever actually saying that. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I know, because it almost sounds like he says he pushes it. I don't think he pushes it. I think he still has like a fluid ball, but I think it focuses more on take it early and Swing just a little slower. Take your incredible racket head speed and bring it down like ten (laughs) percent.
0: That's the thing. Like his normal, like you know, feeling good, like Roger racket head speed is so beyond what any of us can really comprehend. Yeah. (laughs) So like his his like slowing down is just into like you know normal elite player you know range probably.
1: Yeah. Definitely.
0: Awesome. Well, I, I love the I love the list, Matt. Just to. Go over really quickly. Number one, most points end in an error, so focus on forcing mistakes. Number two, improve your serve. Number three, improve your return. Number four, be aware of opportunities to move forwards. And number five, work on racket head speed. I love yeah. it. Good, Once good you stuff. have
1: the racket at speed, you can start to actually feel what the, the good contact with the appropriate speed feels like. Then you start hitting great shots, and then everything gets better from there. But I think
0: really awesome takeaways here Matt and for everybody listening I highly recommend you you subscribe to Matt's YouTube channel again the the name of it is coffee break tennis is, is that three three is coffee break two words or one word I think it's three
1: words spaced out
0: by you know. the way Dimitrov,
1: <laughs> Dimitrov lost after winning the first set by the way if anyone was wondering uh, there's your live update Dimitrov um,
0: Yeah got to stay up to
1: date Yeah you can too yeah, it's three words with a space in between each one. So there yeah, go. so
0: check it out. Coffee Break Tennis. Really insightful content Matt's putting out. And I think really, really applicable. That's really why I wanted to have you on the show, Matt, is I think it's important to watch those elite players and not just have the stars in our eyes and feel like, oh, they're godlike you know, figures that we can't possibly learn anything from. But the reality is there's a ton going on that if we know what to watch for, we can really take away a lot of important lessons. And so thanks for for sharing those with us today. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, part of the reason why I started the show is because it's uh, not a lot of people to talk to about tennis for hours and hours. So uh, I really <laughs> enjoy this actually. Awesome. Yeah, well, keep up the great
0: work. I will continue to uh, support what you're doing because it's unique and I think it's really valuable. And and so uh, keep pushing. I, I know how much work it is. Uh, I know how much of a sacrifice it is to, uh, to, to keep you know, pushing out video after video, especially during the slam where you try to do daily like you did with, uh, with the Aussie. Uh, but I want you to know there's people out there that appreciate it. And I hope everybody listening goes and, uh, and supports you. So uh, thanks for your time today and looking forward to more of your content. Thanks, Ian. For more free game improving instruction, be sure to check out essentialtennis.com where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube where we are the number one resource in the world providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care and good luck with your tennis.